So when we think of the four core values and we talk about having a biblical focus, the teaching of scripture guides everything we do, even as an organization. And so we've picked and we've chosen in our budgeting process that 10% of everything we receive, we give away. As an organization, we give it away. We give it away to missions. We give it away to projects. We do that globally and we do it locally as well. And then all those other categories sometimes can feel a little mundane at times because you see specific ministries, specific things, but just the maintenance of it. We, we had, it wasn't on purpose, I promise, but we had a good example of that. It's so much more comfortable this week than last week. And our air conditioning guys appreciate the donation we've given to their families to help them uh, as they go through the summer and into the fall and as they take care of their families. But seriously, it makes a difference. Having a comfortable place to meet is an important part. Buildings are an important part of what takes place. It's an important part of how we influence. And the scriptures describe these processes for us and lead us in these processes. And then the core value of authentic relationships gets expressed out of the goodness of this. The relationships that are built in the context of the ministry, but the relationships that are built all over the place, literally globally. We have church members that have friends in Romania, in England, um, in South America, in Africa, and in Mexico, because we've always been involved internationally and globally. We know missionaries that are in all parts of the world. We are a part of and partner with church plants that are happening, some here in the Tombaugh area, some in other regions, and some still on the horizon, on the deck of things to be done. We watch children get changed through the things that we do. We watch their lives become guided and mentored alongside of their parents who have the primary discipleship responsibility. We see that and we watch that and we get to participate in that as a congregation. We see older adults have vital connection. It is, it is so important to have a place where you have authentic relationships. If you've lost your loved one, if you've lost your spouse and your, your child lives out of town someplace, Sunday morning is your social, probably primarily social moment. It's the chance you get to hug someone, to talk to someone, carry on a conversation with someone. And all of this happens through this process of generosity into a budget that is designed to influence the world. And all of this process, the, the biblical focused, the, the authentic relationships, the, the changed lives, the life transformation that happens, none of us, even those of us who were Christians before we became a part of this ministry, none of us are the same. It is a dynamic process that God is working in us as his spirit speaks to our heart, just like he did this past week and reminded me, okay, there may be a tendency towards greed. Let's keep it in check and ask ourselves what we're going to do with our generosity. It's a growth process. Our lives are initially changed when we meet Jesus and then they continue to change as we grow and as we experience Jesus in everything we do. These these processes all happen because of generous hearts. And that allows us to do the commission that is uniquely given to the church. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus has just finished an extremely difficult conversation with not just his closest friends, but with a crowd of people who have come to hear who he is and and what he is about and, and what he has to say. We often call that the Beatitudes. 
It's the expressions and, and phrases in Jesus' teaching that give us an example of how we live this changed life. But right in the middle of verse 13, so I'm in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus gives a commission to the church. Now to understand this, while you're going to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, I want to read a passage out of John 8, verse 12, because it helps us understand how this happens. Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, we put that into context with Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Because Jesus has acknowledged to his friends and to his followers, to his students, to his disciples, that he is the light. He is the source of the light that changes lives. But he commissions us in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. And then look down at verse 14. You are the light of the world. We are authorized influencers in the kingdom of God. We have the authority to penetrate. The expression of salt, the metaphor of salt in this parable, it describes three processes in the Middle East in the first century AD. And those processes have not really changed over the years. There's a preservation process. Salt was used to retard and, and to slow down the natural decay of food products, particularly meat and fish. And there was that preservation idea. It was an essential element. It was used in dietary for health purposes and for just flat out seasoning and good taste. Sometimes every once in a while somebody will say, do you really think church should be as fun as it is? And it's like, well, yes. I mean, my thought is, why would I ever eat a green bean if I didn't have salt? I mean, those are weeds that somebody started fixing for lunch and dinner at some point in time. And it carries on in the restaurant industry because it's the cheapest vegetable they can get. They can't give you good things like broccoli. I know, there's some differences there. I don't need the email, I already know. It has dietary, it has seasoning. And probably least known to us because we're not an agrarian society, it was often used in those processes of fertilization and soil development. The bottom line, salt influences. It changes what it comes in contact with. And Jesus has now commissioned us to be salt. So that just as you've seen in that depiction, everything we do, including the way we spend our money, is designed to influence. To influence our world. To influence our personal lives. To influence our families. Influence our institutions and organizations, our corporations and our schools and, and our government. We are salt. And we are authorized to be that from Jesus himself. We are light. We step into darkness and we change it. We literally confront it, even combat it, and stand against it. We have that commission from Jesus. He is the light of the world. And now he tells us, you are to be light. We're authorized to do this. In fact, the opposite of doing this becomes an oxymoron. It becomes, it becomes incongruous with Jesus' words. And he describes that again in verse 13 and down into verse 14. When he says, but if the salt should lose its taste, 
How can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. A city, down in verse 14, situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Jesus is describing this paradox of what I'm calling covert influencers, which is an absolute oxymoron. It actually makes no sense. You cannot be an influencer and live a covert life. It's an impossibility. Oh, people have tried monastic orders and monastic societies and groups who have attempted to isolate themselves throughout the world and throughout life have continued to fail over and over and over again because the church is not designed to be hidden. The church is not designed to be covert. If there's any action of the church that's covert, it is done so strategically to penetrate an impact. A close friend of mine is deeply involved in human trafficking ministry. That's one of the ministries we partner with and support. And they go in, literally most of them, former military, former law enforcement, and they go into these countries that are trafficking young people, children, and they literally, tactically bring a strike team to relieve and give freedom to these children and bring them back where they can be adopted and they can go through a process of trying to recoup and reheal from that horrible lifestyle that they were, was forced upon them. But it ultimately is to bring light. They have to do it strategically and tactically to accomplish it. We have to do it strategically and tactically. We make plans, we organize, we design, we, we do all of these things, but the ultimate goal the ultimate goal is to follow the authorization we have from Jesus to be light and to be salt. Matter of fact, this illustration in Jesus' parable, if you have any science background at all, you possibly are thinking and legitimately thinking, well, Jesus didn't really know what was going on, which is kind of hard to believe since he was the creator. Salt exists because God decided it should exist. But here's the issue with what Jesus says when he says if the salt should lose its taste is that's an impossibility. Sodium chloride is a stable compound. Whatever you do to it, it retains its nature. It retains its elemental nature. So if you put salt on your steak, even on your green beans, it will melt, it'll, it'll absorb, but it disappears visually but it's still there, you still taste it. We did this when I was in seventh grade biology. We would pour salt into a Petri dish and it would completely melt and we would stir it up till it was completely dissolved and then we would let it sit. And after it sits and after the, after the water that we stirred in with it evaporated, we still have salt crystals. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a stable compound, it doesn't change. So the only reference that Jesus could be making in his culture and his time and frame in history is the oftentimes difficulty of salt being mixed with impurities, either in the processing process or in the use process. But if you mix other elements with it, it begins to lose its impact. See, Jesus is describing an impossible situation. The church cannot lose its saltiness. We can lose our effectiveness by mixing impurities into what we do, 
but we never lose its essential element. The light cannot, even if you attempt to, ultimately be hidden. You, you built this city on a hill, you cannot now black it out, dark it out, and say it's inconspicuous. Light is intended to be conspicuous, which is where all the things that we often get told in ministry, oh, you know, you shouldn't be involved in that, you shouldn't be talking about politics, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be t- telling businesses how they should run their businesses. Well, all that's absolutely false according to Scripture. The biblical paradigm for living life and doing anything, commerce or any other activity is the best paradigm. And the church is that light that literally can illuminate and make it understandable and make it appropriate and and actionable in every aspect of life. Covert influencers simply don't exist. It's what we influence for. And then ultimately, Jesus makes this challenge. He, he makes this challenge to be salt, to be light. He makes this challenge to say, you know, we can't really do away with that and we shouldn't do away with that. And so what we do is begin to move strategically and move with a resource aspect and perspective on things so that we become resourceful influencers. We become a resourceful part of our community and our influence. In verse 15 and 16, he says, but rather... Rather than hide that light, try to black out that city, try to put that lamp under some basket, that little oil lamp that they would light at night to illuminate the entire house, rather instead of trying to hide it, you strategically moves it to a lampstand, which was elevated in first century houses. It gives light in that moment for everyone in the house in the same way. And Jesus says again, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, not to compliment you, but to recognize and give glory to your Father in heaven. We share the light in a resourceful fashion. We're in the process of a huge project and we're going to share more about that. We shared earlier this summer um, some of the initial master plans for the relocation of this property. Um, and, we're, and we're going to show tonight we have actual architectural renderings of what buildings will look like. Everything has been done. It's the nature of our team. It's the nature of the building team to do things very practically, very frugally. It's, it's the nature to do it in such a way that we don't waste any resources. But the bottom line is to reposition and be in a position to more effectively be that light to the world. And so we will move from facilities that quite honestly are at best extremely, if not impossible, to manage and to upkeep and to keep working. If this is your first Sunday with us and this is the only room you've been in, you're in the very best So any door you go out from here gets worse. That's the reality. I never forget, we've we've quoted it a thousand times because it haunts us. We had a Google review a few years ago that said, if you get past the building and meet the people, you'll like First Baptist Church. That's not being light to the world. It was effective 60 years ago, 80 years ago, 100 years ago. But it's not effective today. And we'll show you plans tonight to make that possible, done resourcefully and strategically, and you're a part of that. 
The budget is a representation not just of bills and spending, but it is a representation of us saying, let's lift this light up. Let's do the things this year that make a difference for the kingdom of God. And that's why in the one section, even when we talked about personnel, we are strategically and on purpose below the national average for churches in our personnel budget. We feel that stress every single day. The vast majority of our staff, the overwhelming majority of our staff are part-time employees, but we still get the work done, not always the way we want to, not always as fast as we want to, or as effectively as we want to, because we're limited, and I'm not asking for more. We have no intentions to change that, because we want funds going into the things that make a difference in the world. Now, honestly, but this always sounds like one of those things you would expect me to say, I believe our staff makes a difference. I believe it makes a difference when you answer the phone, when you call in or when you have an issue, when you're in the hospital, when you have lost a loved one, we're there. When your children are growing up and you're looking for a place for them to hear biblical teaching, we're there. When your teenagers are in school and they're studying and they're working and they're being confronted by every aberrant idea possible in culture, we're there. When they transition to college, we're there. When they transition into young adults, and they're struggling in their marriages, we're there. When you transition through every transition in life and in the last moments of life, we're there. Because God has called us to be salt and light to this world. Our generosity, it's so much more than just a thought process. The thought process will oftentimes lead us astray. Because I don't think I'm the only one that if you were picking up 50-pound sacks and you were remembering what we talked about last week and that that was the equivalent of what Jesus was describing as the resource, the financial backing in that parable last week, that you wouldn't think of something you would spend that gold on. I'm, I'm guessing reality is, as soon as I told that story, some of us, not just me, started thinking what I would spend that gold on. Jesus tells us to impact, to change, to influence our world. Generous hearts is a reminder to us and our core values. We want to ask ourselves not what we're going to spend it on, but what we're going to give it to. Because we want generosity to lead the day. Personally, just on a side note, I don't know there's ever been a time in history, maybe... In Western civilization, the Great Depression, but we're close to there anyway, um, that generosity had the opportunity to impact the world as much as it does today. Because it is so counterintuitive to the secular human heart. Generosity is not a natural tendency. Generosity is the result of changed hearts. And Jesus does that when we listen to him and when we trust him. I'm going to ask our team to come back. Let's just take a moment. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you. It's somewhat funny for you to reveal in my own life deficiencies or even even failures sometimes to think the way you want me to and the way scripture has taught me to. I'm thankful that you're such a loving and gracious God that you always 
turn around those situations. It is your nature to be redemptive. It is, it is your desire to be redemptive. And so it is your desire to call me from carnal or secular thought processes to godly, divine, and eternal thought processes. I want to, and I think the people in here with me and the people online with us right now, I think they want to as well. We want to invest in treasure that is eternal in nature, that is protected from decay and rots and moths and, and rust and, and all the difficulties of theft and the, the hardness of this world. We want to invest it in your kingdom with eternal results. Thank you for every life that's been changed. Every family that went through a Bible study and learned how to more effectively live for you. Every conversation with somebody outside in the community, a neighbor, a, a school, school friend, city council, government, institutions, corporations, and businesses. But we've had the opportunity to explain to them we live because Jesus gave us life. And we've invited them into that same life-changing relationship. Continue to provide for us as a people and continue to change our hearts so that we're generous and provide for the things that make a difference in this world. Guide that. Let us be effective stewards because we are who we are because we one day made the decision to trust you, to say, yes, I will follow Jesus.